First Thessalonians 5.20, despise not prophesying. Welcome back to Bible time. We're going to do our best to preach the word of God today. We're going to pray here in just a second. Before we pray, I want to ask you to do something. Some of you here today, but most of all, I want to especially ask those of you that are online that are listening to this, maybe for the first time you're hearing this, I want to ask you to come to the Bible with a clean slate. When we say the word prophesying, when we say the word prophecy, you can ask a hundred people and get a hundred definitions. Maybe a thousand people and get a thousand definitions. Everybody has their ideas. Everybody has their opinions. I'm not interested in your opinions. I wouldn't listen to them. And you probably don't want my opinions. If you do, I think that's just a little bit strange. I don't really have anything to offer you. All I've got is the Word of God. That's it. That's why we call this thing Bible time. This isn't Joshua Burke's time. This isn't um, Burke's time, Burke's opinions. This isn't Burke's theology. We're doing the best we can do here today to do Bible time, and we want to know what the Bible says. So we're going to try and look at what the Bible says and get a biblical understanding of this text so that we can obey it. That's the other purpose of Bible time is obedience to the text. God says, blessed are they that hear and do his word. This is, he says, the man that builds his house upon the rock, the one that hears and obeys. The one that hears and will not obey is like him that builds his house on the sand. He's got theology, he's got doctrine, he's got understanding of what the Bible means, so he thinks, and he's built his giant house, but he's built it on the sand. And when the rains descend and the winds blow, it'll beat on the house and the house will fall in the times of trouble. And that's what all this big high theology stuff, that's all it's good for, is a big crash when the storm comes. It makes for great um, it makes for great action clips for the local news station, but it doesn't do any good in real life. If you want to have any kind of real Christianity, you need to hear, obey, hear and obey the word of God. Blessed are they that hear my words and do them, said Jesus Christ. So our purpose here in Bible time is twofold. First of all, to understand the Bible, what the Bible says about what the Bible says, and to obey what the Bible says when it says what it says. It's really simple. That's all we're trying to do. So I'm asking you as we as we study this verse, despise not prophesying, let's try to come with a clean slate. Father, in Jesus' name, please help us right now. Please clean the debris out of our minds, Lord, that has been caused by the devil and all of his confusion. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us understanding of this text so that we can obey it. And Lord, I pray that you'd remove fear and bitterness and anger and strife that has come down throughout the last 120 years, Father, over this very word, Father. And I pray that you would just help us to be open to what your Bible says and to let your Bible define itself. Help me to be faithful to your word and not fear man. Father, but just to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we come to church, a lot of people have gotten the point, gotten to the point in the United States of America, and I don't know how it is in other places. I haven't been very many other places, but in the United States of America, people have gotten to the point where we believe what we believe, and everybody's got their favorite YouTube channel. Everybody's got their favorite podcast. Everybody's got their favorite online preachers. Everybody has their own opinions, their own books, their own guides to the Bible. Everybody has their own formulated opinions from what they 
they've heard and what they've seen and the TV shows they've watched. And everybody comes to the to the church house and they come to the message where someone's preaching the word of God, like they're coming to Golden Corral, a famous buffet line where you can go and eat all kinds of different foods. If you go in Golden Corral in America, you can get pizza or you can get pulled pork or you can get brisket. You can get a little bit of pot pie. You can get some lemon meringue pie. You can get some ice cream. You can get just about whatever kind of food you want to get. It's just all laid out there in a great big long buffet and you pay at the front and you get your plate and you go pick what you want to eat. And if you want seconds, you go back and get seconds of what you want to get. And um, it's all there for the choosing. And that's what we think that preaching is. But this verse in the Bible, despise not prophesying, we're going to see from the word of God today that this is more that this is referring to the preaching of the word of God and that it is not something that you have the choice of pick and choosing. When the word of God is preached the way God intends it to be preached, we come to the church house and say, I don't see it that way. We say, that's just your preference. We say, quit preaching your convictions. That's just your ideas. That works for you. That works for some people. If you want to do it that way, that's fine, but I'm going to do it this way. And that is a dangerous situation to be in. We're going to see that today. Before we get any deeper, we need to get a biblical foundation for this discussion by getting a biblical definition of prophecy. Go to Revelation 19 and verse 10, without going into all of the other side stuff, all of the side shows about prophecy, we're not even going to, we're going to try not to even mention it. Um, I'm going to try to not get in the flesh today. We'll, we'll see how it works. Lord, help me. Lord, fill me with your spirit and help me not to get in the flesh. So we're just going to try and see what the Bible has to say about this subject today. Here in Revelation 19, um, the Apostle John is falling down at the foot of a servant of the Lord because this is a glorified servant of the Lord that's standing there like an angel before him. And he falls down at the feet of this servant of the Lord. And he said unto me, see thou do it not. He fell down at his feet to worship him in verse 10. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, no other place in the Bible that I'm aware of gives us such a succinct definition of the spirit of prophecy. No other place in the Bible gives us such a um, strong statement about what the spirit of prophecy actually is. We can get clues from other places in the Bible where prophecy prophecy is used and where prophecy is um, explained but no other place in the Bible gives us such a clear definition of the spirit of prophecy. And it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we understand that prophecy in the Bible, in the positive use of it, not the prophets of Baal, but a true prophet in the Bible is one who has the testimony of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, he says that in everything ye are in Enriched by him, that's in Jesus Christ, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church that the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them in 
in all utterance and in all knowledge. So here we find the link between the testimony of Christ in the spirit of prophecy and the practical outworking of the spirit of prophecy in the preached word of God in what they call utterance in the word of God. The old timers would say, pray for me, just like the apostle Paul said, that I will have utterance. And the apostle Paul in other places asked God to give him utterance and asked the churches to give him utterance. To utter something means to speak it in a way that is understandable. To give utterance to something means to allow the air to pass over the vocal cords in a way that produces sounds that are understandable and discernible to other people so that they can comprehend what you are saying. So the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus when given utterance is the proclaimed preached word of God that glorifies and exalts the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a biblical definition of prophecy in the Bible. The testimony of Jesus given utterance through the power of God. Now, when this is proclaimed, this is prophecy or to prophesy is to proclaim the testimony of Jesus Christ when used in its, in the context in the Bible as a good thing. But this is also used prophecy in the context of false prophets and lying prophets. And that is understood by the context. So, prophecy is to proclaim the word of God with a capital G if it is speaking of the Almighty and it is to proclaim the word of a God or your God in the context of false gods and lying prophets which would be with a little g. So prophecy in the Bible we understand by the context whether a prophet is prophesying in the testimony of Christ or the testimony of Antichrist. Go to 1 John real quick today. Lord being our help we're just going to follow him. This isn't in my notes, but this, I believe, is where we need to go. So if we have to slow down and find it, we'll slow down and find it. Let's see here. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. And then he goes on ye are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Therefore they are of the world he says. Therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You have two spirits working in the world, two spirits as regards prophecy. You have the spirit of the prophecy that is the testimony of Jesus Christ, and you have the spirit of prophecy that is the spirit of Antichrist that is of the world. These two spirits of prophecy, the one a false spirit, the one the true spirit of the almighty God, the one a gift from God, the one a operation of the devil are at work in the world today. And we have many false prophets in the world today, as Peter warned us that there would be many false prophets. Peter told us, you can go there real quick. Again, this isn't where we were going. We're just going to try and stick with the Lord today. I'm going to do my best to be faithful to him. But here in chapter 
chapter 2 of 2 Peter, but there were false prophets also among you, among the people, it says, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So these here are, we're warned here that the false teachers, like the false prophets of old, would be among the people that they would come from within the church. And this is the word of Peter himself, who's saying that from within the church would be an increase of ungodly men who would speak great swelling words of vanity and allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. And so these false prophets who deny Jesus Christ, who deny the deity of Christ, who say that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, that deny that Jesus is the only way to God. These prophets who get extra revelations of God are cursed by God. Go to Galatians chapter one. Let's look at that here in the Bible and let's get a biblical foundation for the discussion of prophecy. All who prophesy are not prophets of God, but prophets may prophesy and be prophets with much power, though they be not prophets of God. He says here in Galatians chapter one and verse eight, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. True prophecy is the revelation of the testimony of Jesus Christ given utterance, given free course, given power, given anointing, given ability to affect the lives of people around you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Prophecy in the Bible here is only true prophecy if it is true to the testimony of Jesus Christ, further revelations of the so-called word of God that deny and contradict the 66 completed works, books of the Bible that we have preserved for us in English in the King James authorized version Bible. Anything that goes beyond and alters that gospel of this holy book is a heresy and those that do it will be accursed. We looked at the message, warned them that are unruly. We looked at the complete, inerrant, infallible word of God in its 66 books and we looked at how God confirmed and ratified those 66 books and how Jesus Christ himself sealed the 66 books of the Bible in the closing words of the book of Revelation and how that none but Jesus Christ himself is free to add to the word of God. You say, well, he, some people would argue and want to fuss. I don't want to fuss, but I'm telling you when Jesus comes back and sits on the throne, he will speak and he is God. And when he speaks, he speaks God's word because he is God. 
and only Jesus Christ will be able to say to give any further revelation. And by the way, when Jesus Christ comes back in power, he will give further revelation. And he's given us clear evidences for when he comes back. Heaven will be opened. He will be seen on a great white horse. The armies which are in heaven will follow him. He will destroy his enemies with a sword that proceeds out of his mouth. The blood will run horse bridle deep in the valley of Megiddo. And there are many other clear evidences that will make it absolutely evident. The sun will cease to give her light. The stars will fall from heaven. All of these different things that the Bible talks about will be clear and Jesus Christ will manifest himself. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will set up his literal throne in Jerusalem and you will know it is Jesus Christ. It won't be some false prophet. It won't be some guy masquerading as Jesus. It will be Jesus Christ returned in the flesh with his holy bride, the Gentile church, and you will know it's Jesus and nobody will be able to say boo about it. Everyone will fall on their knees before Jesus Christ. Until that day, there will be no other revelation of the word of God other than what we have here in the 66 books of the Bible. And at that point, Jesus Christ will give mandates. He will give orders and I'll let him take care of that and handle that because that's his business and not my business. Until that day, we've got 66 books of the Bible to go off of and you better get content with them because that's all you get. Any further revelations are heresy. God has closed the book. Muhammad claimed to have further revelation and his revelations contradict and countermand the word of Christ. The Muslims have followed a false prophet. If you're Muslim today, I love you and I want you to be born again by the power of God. He that hath the son hath life and he that hath not the son hath not life. The son is Jesus Christ. He's not just a good prophet. He is God in the flesh. Joseph Smith said that he got further revelations from heaven. He said that he had these golden tablets that were given to him by old, that old angel Moroni. And I'm here to tell you today, the Bible says in Galatians, let him be accursed. Joseph Smith is burning in the bowels of hell today, writhing in agony in a place that Moroni will join him in when he gets there. You say, I don't think Moroni's real. You, real. you bet you Moroni's real. Moroni's nothing but a devil. Moroni's nothing but a fallen angel. Moroni's nothing but a wicked devil that Jesus Christ will send to the bowels of hell and Jesus Christ knows Moroni's real name. Moroni's his fake name that he gave to Joseph Smith so that those people would worship him. If you're Mormon today, you followed a false prophet, you followed a false revelation, you're going to burn in the bowels of hell except ye repent. Those of you that followed that lady, what was her name? Ellen White, that led all those people in all those extra revelations of the word of God in the Seventh-day Adventist movement. I'm telling you today, you followed a false prophet with another gospel. And if you follow that false gospel, you will end up in the bowels of hell. The Bible says, if we, if we or any angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said before, so as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. The Catholic church for the 1400 to 1600 years, 
that it has been distinguishable as that entity that can be called the Catholic Church, that Catholic Church that was in, that it found its birthplace with origin, it's in, or its conception with origin, and its birthplace with Constantine has been editing and altering the Word of God for almost 2,000 years. And I actually kind of missed it there, and we won't get into all that today, but the first apostle of the Catholic Church was Judas, and I can prove that to you. But we'll save that one for another day. This church that has been editing the gospel, altering the gospel, adding to and taking away to the, from the gospel for almost 2,000 years or just over 2,000 years is accursed. And these popes that speak supposedly ex cathedra adding to the revealed word of God, claiming that they speak divine oracles from heaven are accursed by God. Those that have died are not in purgatory as they have lied to say that they would be. They are in the bowels of hell, writhing in the very flames that Lucifer himself will inhabit for all of eternity because they will be cast into the lake of fire. And I know in the time frame they're in hell today, hell will be raised and they'll be cast into that lake of fire and Lucifer will be there in the bottom of the lake of fire with them. The charismatics, many of them, some of them may may not be, but many of the charismatics today have edited and altered the Bible. They have another gospel. They're getting divine revelations claiming that they have some kind of direct line to heaven to give prophetic utterances with that have equal authority to the word of God. And the Bible says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. You see these men running around with signs, running around with wonders, running around doing miracles, but they edit the gospel. They alter the gospel. They preach another gospel. This is the spirit of antichrist that is already in the world. Let them be accursed. Anathema. Anathema to the Catholic Church. Anathema to the Pope himself. Anathema, Pope John Paul. He's burning in hell today because he denied Christ and he preached another doctrine and another gospel and he's leading people to hell. Some of the Amish groups that I have met believe that they have received papers that fell down from heaven and they select their pastors based on superstitious rites and rituals and they hold the Bible as a cultural figure piece but they do not obey the word of God. They do not believe the gospel. They have another gospel that they have received from their elders. And the Bible says, let them be accursed. They're accursed today on their way to hell, riding in their buggies with their black hats and their black bonnets. No better off than the lady at the, that the prostitute down at the red light district in the middle of town. Because they have another gospel. No prophet is alive or will live with authority to add to or take away from the Bible. But the Bible says, despise not prophesying. So let's look at what prophesying is here in the word of God. Let's look at this. Now that we've established some basis, some foundation, we've established some limits to prophecy in the Word of God. We've not looked at all of them, but we have looked at some. Prophecy in the Bible. Well, let's go first of all, before we go there, let's go to Peter again. um, 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at the most clear place to find prophecy in the world. First, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. 
knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word of God, the Holy Scriptures, is prophecy. The word of God, the Holy Scriptures, is the testimony of Jesus. Everything in this book, from Genesis chapter 1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22, is about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This whole book, from start to finish, is about Jesus Christ. Now, prophecy in the Bible is past, present, and future. Many people a lot of times get distracted with future events whenever they think of prophecy. But the Bible deals with past events, present events, and future events, and all of it is prophecy. Prophecy, by definition of the word, means to proclaim the word of God, to speak the word of God. Old Testament prophets looked forward to the cross and they preached the testimony of Jesus who would come. New Testament prophets looked back at the cross and preached the testimony of Jesus Christ who did come. All of them are limited to and held to the word of God as their standard. Ephesians chapter 4. This is Bible time today and we're going to believe the Bible. You say, what group do you belong to? The Bible group. What teachers do you hold to the Bible and those that teach the Bible? What school are you from, the Bible? I'm not saying that in pride. I'm saying that in simplicity. It may be too simple for you, but that's where I am and that's where I stand. By God's grace. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. <clears throat> Five ministerial gifts that Jesus Christ gave to the church. There has been confusion. There has been uproar. There has been schisms in the church for over a hundred years because of excesses and because of extremes that have caused people to shun and hide from these words in the Bible. And that is not right. Here in the Bible, it says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're going to slow down and do a little bit of Bible teaching here for just a minute. It says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I have not come to that yet. If you have and your church has, then pray for me because I have not come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I have not come unto a perfect man. I am not living in a glorified body. Maybe somebody out there would claim that, but I cannot claim that. I must admit to you today that I still have a body of death sold under sin and that unless the Holy Spirit of God brings my body into subjection to his spirit, that I sin and can sin and have the capability ability to sin in any way that it is possible to sin in on the face of the earth today and that it is only the power of Jesus Christ that keeps me today. 
Some of you are ready to shut this off right there because you feel I'm unqualified to preach. And if that's the case, then I cannot stop you. I'm only admitting to you the truth that I'm a sinner today and that I stand here in need of the constant power and anointing of the spirit of God on a daily basis to keep me from falling. And only that power of God keeps me from falling. And I would even go so far as to have to admit to you that in spite of the power of God that has been manifestly evident in my life, there are many days that I have fallen, many days that I have sinned, many days, many hours, many minutes that I have wasted in a state of sin against the Almighty as a Christian. Thank God for the blood. I could not stand here today apart from the blood. Here he gave some apostles, and we know that he gave the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and there are no more than 12 apostles of the Lamb. But we studied apostles in detail in another text. You can go through the, the lessons there in Bible time, look through the hashtags, find those that mention apostles, and you can get, if you're curious or if you're angry or if you um, want to find aught with me, you can go through and look at how we've handled the tech, different texts in the Bible that deal with apostles and look at that in the Bible. The Bible calls Barnabas an apostle and the Bible calls Silvanus and Timotheus um, the apostles that were with Paul in the book of Thessalonians. You can find those texts and look up those texts and look at how those texts were treated in Bible time. And these are not apostles of the Lamb. These are apostles acting under the authority of the apostles of the Lamb. By the way, we have these books of the Bible. You have apostles in your hand. The work of the 12 apostles continues on as we read here in the book of Ephesians. But that work of the apostle must also be continued in the work of the missionary who would honor God, who is doing God's work God's way. If he is doing God's work God's way, he's following the pattern set forth by the apostles and he's doing his work under the authority of the written revealed word of God in the 66 closed and finished books of the Bible and therefore is executing an apostolic ministry. You can look at that in detail in our other t- for yourself and in our other lessons. We're not going into that today. Stop letting cults and quacks steal Bible words. Stop letting cults and quacks redefine Bible words. Let the Bible define its own words. The prophets here mentioned are also still in effect because the perfecting of the saints has not happened. Even if God has perfected you, sir, God has not perfected me. Therefore, the saints, plural, are held back by this unworthy servant of the Lord. And if you are perfect, then please pray for me to get to that state. And perhaps I can join you someday and then we can all be perfect together. But at the moment, I'm not perfect. And therefore, this has not happened. And therefore, the five gifts that God has given the church are still in effect, but not in the way the cults and the quacks preach them, but rather within the confines of the scripture and the and the manner that God has given them to the church. These prophets are those that prophesy. He says here to despise not prophesying in 1 Thessalonians 5.20. Any true Bible-believing, Holy Ghost-filled, God-anointed preacher of the testimony of Jesus preaching the inspired, preserved word of God qualifies as a prophet. And we're going to see that any believer testifying of Christ with anointing is prophesying. According to God, go to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 5, Paul the apostle um, prophesies the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see an amazing, powerful prophecy of future events. 
That prophecy was manifested by the immediate fulfillment of it. And you can tell that he was true and a prophet because his word came to pass. The Bible says that if a prophet speaks anything and it does not come to pass, he has not spoken by me, saith the Lord. The Bible also says that if a prophet preaches heresy and then his signs and wonders do come to pass, that God is allowing that man to operate in satanic power to test you and see if you're going to follow a wicked heretic or if you will stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true measure of a prophet is the testimony of Jesus. The measure of the prophet's prophecies is the fulfillment of those prophecies. In Acts chapter 21, we find here that the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he stops off at Philip the Evangelist's house who was one of the seven who was ordained there with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. Philip the Evangelist houses Paul and his evangelistic band. Verse 9 says, And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. If we take the biblical definition of prophecy, it's clear that these girls were definitely the daughters of their daddy. Philip the Evangelist was a preacher of the Word of God, and he shared the gospel with people everywhere he went. As we know from Acts chapter 8, whenever he went down there in the wilderness and met the Ethiopian eunuch. A true biblical evangelist Evangelist is also not what we find running around under the name and guise of evangelist in the United States of America today and doing worldwide evangelism. What we have today under the name, under the label of evangelism is a Western, a Western culture anomaly. It's something that has been made up. It is something that has been fabricated in the word of God. Philip is the only one given the specific title of evangelist and therefore any evangelist that would go by that name must be able to take from Philip's ministry a model that he can match. Philip went to people and preached the gospel to lost people and through and then he would go on to the next town and preach again the gospel of Jesus Christ to lost people, and that is a biblical evangelist. We've got to stop attacking the labels that fakes and phonies and frauds put on their foreheads and attack the lies that they're telling with biblical truth. Just because someone says they're a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist doesn't mean that they're one. By the way, there's just as many false pastors out there today as there are false apostles. There are just as many false teachers out there today as there are false prophets. But for some reason, in most of our fundamentalist churches, we still maintain the office of pastor and the office of teacher, though we so, and though we so quickly pervert the office of evangelist and throw out the office of apostle and the office of pastor. Stop attacking the labels and start getting back to the Bible. Let God define his own word. If you understand that these four daughters with their evangelist daddy had the testimony of Jesus and that they were quick to share the gospel with everyone around them, you understand that they have the spirit of prophecy and they did prophesy. And you understand that they did it within the confines of the word of God as you find even in 1 Corinthians 14 where he says, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but for the women to be silent in the church 
churches. And so we understand that these virgins that did prophesy were testifying of the, of the efficacy of the cross and the finished work of Jesus Christ in the empty tomb and that through their testimony of Jesus, souls had been won to Christ. And what we find here today is what we would have probably relabeled in many fundamentalist churches as soul winning young ladies. And the Bible says they were virgins which did prophesy. I know that makes tingles go up and down the backs of some folks whenever they hear the word prophecy and they think it's all mystical and it belongs in gypsy carts with crystal balls. But we've got to let the Bible define the Bible. So here were some soul winning young ladies, virgins, which did prophesy. And perhaps they walked so close to God that they were led by the spirit of God. As Romans eight says in verse 14, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There is a movement out there that says that God doesn't give any kind of leading to his people. And this movement has caused great schisms in the churches. George Whitfield was led primarily Primarily by what he called divine impulses. He felt that God told him, go to that city, go to that city, and he would go and preach in those cities, and God attended his ministry with power. Jonathan Edwards believed that there could be no such thing as divine impulses, and towards the end of the Great Awakening, these two great um, battleships of the faith, these great, these two great dreadnoughts of the faith, so to speak, these giants of the faith, split ways and argued over this very thing, over whether or not they could be led by impulses so-called by the leading of the Holy Spirit in their life or by um, strictly the written word of God. So I don't expect everyone out there to agree, but I will tell you this, George Whitfield, later in his life, this will help some of you if you listen, later in his life, George Whitfield admitted that many of the impulses that he followed were not the Holy Spirit and that he was not sure how many of them actually were at all and that he really didn't know how many times he just followed an intuition from his own mind and how many times he followed the Holy Spirit. Later in his life, Jonathan Edwards, who was asked to take over, I believe, the presidency at Princeton, instead of obeying the leading of God to preach to the Indians where God had placed him when his own church had kicked him out and fired him from being pastor for his great work and the great um, awakening, what an irony, Jonathan Edwards got a bunch of men together and asked men their counsel about whether or not he should leave the Indians he was ministering to and go to be the president of Princeton. University or stay with the Indians. All the men that he asked counsel of unanimously said, go to Princeton. He went to Princeton. The same men advised him to get the smallpox vaccine. He took the smallpox vaccine and died of smallpox contracted from the vaccine. So here you have two men that argued about whether a Christian should be led by the Holy Spirit of God practically or not. The one man held to only the Bible and getting counsel from other men, and he died by the counsel of other men. The other was led by impulses of the Holy Spirit and later said he made a lot of mistakes and sometimes even got into trouble following impulses that were not the Holy Spirit of God. So you say, which one is it? And I say to you, mind God. Romans 8, 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There's no easy answer. There's no cookie-cutter answer. It requires a relationship with God. It requires that you walk with God. It requires that you get in your Bible and seek God's face and find direction from God. However, God will give it to you. And by the way, according to your faith, be it unto you. 
And may God bless you with leading in your life. So here, these that were virgins which did prophesy are soul-winning young ladies who are led by the Spirit of God, who are walking with God to such a degree that they are able to have insight from the Word of God to make observations and give admonitions to those people around them that are their peers and under their authority, such as children and other young ladies, that when followed produce blessings and when despised bring, um, bring shame and reproach. And this is what the Bible's talking about when it says, despise not prophesying. Here in verse 10, as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. You see, he hadn't learned he wasn't supposed to say that yet. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard these things, both we and they, when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Paul admitted this prophecy as having Um, validity to it. And by the way, it was ratified by reality. Paul was bound by the Jews at Jerusalem vicariously through the Romans. Some people have preached and condemned Paul for this. Others have preached and tried to justify Paul. I say, um, and I'll stand on my high and holy sanctimonious high place and say to his own master, he standeth or falleth as if I'm better than y'all. No, I'm not better than you all, but at least I'm not going to get into that argument. Amen. We'll let God sort out whether Paul should have gone to Jerusalem or not. God used it. Thank God God does use us in spite of our folly. Lord, help us today. We're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're going to look at another place where it speaks of prophecy. He says in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. 2 Corinthians 3.18 and James 1.23 show us plainly that the glass is the word of God. And the looking glasses of the women in the Old Testament were melted down and turned into the laver that was filled with water where the priests would wash a picture of the word of God. He says here in 1 Corinthians, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We don't have all the answers. That's what that means. It behooves us to have great humility when we deal with things in the Bible that are not absolutely clear. We need to be careful and give each other grace and mercy as we deal with these things. He says here in verse 9, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What did he say that we know? We know in part. So here what we know about God as we see through a glass darkly, our understanding of God on this earth is in part. The word of God is complete. The word of God is finished, but our understanding of the things of God is limited just as the Bible is limited to its 66 books. So our understanding is limited. I've never met a man who could honestly claim to understand everything in the word of God and the word of 
God is only 66 pages in my particular Bible with the layout, the text layout, the way that the pages line up. I have about 2,000, there are 2,018 pages, 2,018 pages to describe a holy, perfect God who made the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. This book is absolutely inadequate to give us the entire understanding of God. That's why the Bible says we know in part. God did not try to impart to us everything about himself in the Bible. If the if God even imparted to us everything about the physical earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, the apostle John said the heaven itself, all of earth could not contain the scrolls that would be written. God has condensed this book down into a digestible amount of information for a finite human being. And yet he's given it depth, infinite depth, infinite wisdom, and no man that has ever studied God with a pure heart and a, and a desire to know God has ever found the depths of the knowledge of God and the understanding of God that is enclosed and encapsulated in this tiny little finite, limited, perfectly preserved, perfect and infallible and complete word. Word of God. Our prophecy, therefore, that we hold in our hands, this Bible, is in part. There in Peter, he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy, and that prophecy is the word of God. Here in 1 Corinthians, our prophecy is in part. Our understanding of God is in part. In verse 9, we know in part. Verse 10, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that day that we see Jesus Christ, and we receive the whole understanding, and the whole picture, and the whole truth of who God is, it will line up perfectly with this perfectly preserved, inspired, infallible word of God that I am preaching to you today from, but it will do away with the limited understanding that we have, that which is in part. The Bible says forever, O Lord, thy word Word is settled in heaven and God's word will never be done away. But the limited nature of our understanding will make the understanding that we gain from the Bible vanish away in the fullness of the understanding that we receive when we stand before Christ and see him as he is. Here, back there in verse 8, it said, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Tongues are languages in the Bible. God over and over again calls tongues languages. Here he gives us in the English language, in the English tongue, the word of God in part, a prophecy in part. And my physical copy of the word of God in English that's already worn and falling apart here on the desk today, this copy of the Word of God will fail, this copy of the Word of God in English will cease, and my knowledge of the Word of God gleaned from this Bible will vanish away in the fullness of the understanding of Jesus Christ whenever He appears in His fullness. 
This, this then, the prophecy that we're faced with in the New Testament as it is limited to the testimony of Jesus Christ and it is manifested in the leading of the Holy Spirit of God through His people will also be done away when this prophecy, uh, this physical copy of the prophecy fails. The Bible says that the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Every copy of the Word of God, every manuscript of the Word of God, unless God chooses to catch some up to heaven, will be burnt up when God burns this world. But the Word of God endureth forever. Even the very words of God are settled in heaven, and we will still have access to them in heaven, but in their part, and we will have the fullness of understanding when we approach this infinite book that is nevertheless finite in its constitution, in its makeup, in its fabrication. In 1 Corinthians 14, he tells us, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy, rather that ye might testify of the work of Jesus Christ, rather that ye might be a witness with the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon you in your workplace. Do you hear me today? You can prophesy as you learn a, as you run a drill press in a machine shop. You can give the testimony of Jesus Christ with the anointing and power of Almighty. God on you. A preacher can have leading. A man can have leading for his family as he prays and seeks God and reads his Bible and God anoints the word of God and gives him leading and direction. And he says, I need to change the direction of my family. We need to move to another location. How did he get that? He got it through the working of the Holy Spirit of God leading him as he sought God. We don't need to be mystical about this stuff. My grandma one day said to Ronnie Jean, my daddy, she said to little Ronnie Jean when he was just a few years old, get off of those luggage, get, get off of that luggage or you're going to fall and break out your teeth. Ronnie Jean thought he knew better than mommy at five years of age or whatever. It was somewhere around there, four or five years of age. He didn't think he needed to listen to grandma Lillian. And so he didn't listen. And then he did fall off and he did break his teeth. Now, some of you laugh at that story. Some of you um, scoffed at that, score, at that story. But what happened there was that a woman who loved her child made observations from life, gave an admonition. The admonition was despised and judgment came. So now let's make an application here um, to the preacher and the work of the preacher. When a God-anointed, God-called preacher with the testimony of Jesus stands in the pulpit and shares the word of God. He's making observations from the word of God and giving you admonitions from the word of God as he's led by the Holy Spirit of God, finding direct and pertinent applications from God's word for his church and for the people that God has given him to preach to. And if you do not listen and you despise those admonitions, rest assured judgment is coming. And it won't just be a couple front teeth getting knocked out when you fall off the luggage. This applies to even a lost person. My grandma was a saved woman, but even a lost person can make basic observations and admonitions, and we wouldn't even call that prophecy. 
How much more whenever a man takes the more sure word of prophecy and warns you of heaven, warns you of hell, warns you of judgment, warns you of sin, warns you of consequences from the more sure word of prophecy and you despise those prophecies and go on in your sin, rest assured, judgment is coming. A little girl, 13-year-old girl can go down to the schoolhouse and there at the schoolhouse while she's sitting at lunch talking to her neighbor there, another 13-year-old girl, her spirit can be burdened and pressed within her and grieved at the need of her neighbor and she can break out right then and there with the anointing and power of the Lord Jesus Christ prophesying the spirit of Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ to her neighbor. Jesus died for me. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's alive. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. If that young lady despises that prophecy, rest assured judgment is coming. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple. You know, the Bible is pretty simple. We're the ones that make it complicated. We're the ones that make it complicated. Either we take these words like prophet and apostle and prophesy, and we run with them to make excuses for fakery and phonery, and we have a bunch of cheats out there using Bible words and slapping Bible labels on their foreheads and, imp- and impressing everybody to get their money. Or you react to those people and come to the Bible to attack them and prove that that office doesn't exist. And both of those extremes are error. Instead, we just need to rightly divide the word of truth. The fakes and the frauds are just that. They are fakes and they are frauds. The offices are real and the work of those offices is real. As we wrap this up today... This is why churches today are dying all across our land. We don't want real preachers with the spirit of prophecy. We don't want real preachers with the spirit of prophecy. The old timers, a lot of them would call it the anointing. They'd say, you need to get under a Bible preacher with the anointing. What they were saying without saying it, because they were afraid to say the word prophecy, was you need to get under a prophet of God, a man of God, a New Testament prophet, a real preacher, who has the anointing power of God to admonish and reprove and rebuke and exhort and make applications to you through the completed, finished word of God. That's what they were saying, and that's what we need today. But churches and people don't want preachers with the spirit of prophecy. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14 as we're closing. He says in verse 24, this is why people don't want such a preacher. If all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. I've heard much said of the need for the convicting power of God in our land and the drawing power of God. The drawing power of God brings people in. The convicting power of God convinces them. What we're saying, people, dearly beloved, without saying it is, we need the spirit of prophecy back in our churches to convince men of their sins so that they will fall on their faces before God in repentance and be saved. 
But our churches don't want the spirit of prophecy. Our churches want the smoke and mirrors. Our churches want the phony. Our churches want the dog and pony show. And our other churches like things to say nice and dead because they're at peace with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I hesitated to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to give you four examples. Four examples of men that God used in our last hundred years who had the spirit of prophecy. The first one is James Stewart. Look him up. Not the movie star. He was a Scotsman. And he and his mother actually is the one. Look up his testimony. She was praying for James every morning to be saved. And one morning as he ate his oatmeal that she made him every morning. She went back to pray as usual and put her face there on her bed and started crying out to God. Oh God, save James. He was getting ready to go to work. And all of a sudden she started hooping and hollering and carrying on. Thank you, God. You saved James. Thank you, Lord God. He's saved. He's saved. He's saved. And James says, mother, I'm not saved. Mother, I'm not saved. And he got so angry with his mother that he wouldn't even finish his oatmeal. and He left for work. A few hours went by and suddenly the convicting power of God fell on James at work and he fell on his knees and cried out to God for mercy as a hell bound sinner and begged God to save him. The foreman let him go home and tell his mommy that he'd gotten saved. And when he got there, he says, Mother, Mother, you won't believe what happened to me today. And she said, Oh, yes, I will. You're saved, James. And he says, How do you know, Mother? And she said, I told you this morning you were saved. She wouldn't even shout because she'd already done her shouting. She was busy knitting. He was kind of perplexed, but he went on to become a very powerful preacher who held to the fundamental truths of the Bible and preached the King James authorized version with power. The next man that I'd like to tell you about today, the next man ministered down in Mississippi. And his ministry, God used his ministry mighty, mightily. And this man was a preacher of righteousness. He was as strict as they come. In some ways, he was stricter than I. Far stricter than I. And yet this man in his prayers, by the way, the Bible says, if any man be a prophet, let him pray for his people. The greatest ministry of the prophet is the prayer closet and intercession. And you'll see that over and over again if you look at biblical prophets throughout the Bible from Elijah and Isaiah and Nathan on. Now, this man down in Mississippi was burdened because wicked men were sinning and bringing and taking this nation to hell and leading the young people of this nation to hell. One of those men was Elvis Presley, and he sent Elvis Presley a letter warning him that Elvis Presley was going to die if Elvis did not turn. He told him, God is done with your sin. I've been praying for you. It's time for you to repent and believe the gospel or God will kill you. Elvis Presley ignored the letter, scoffed at the letter, and died in two weeks. That man was a Southern Baptist. Like him or love him or hate him or whatever, you can look him up. I don't have liberty to say his name. I don't know why. I'm not ashamed of him, but the Lord won't let me, so we'll move on. Another man who had one of the biggest churches in America in the turn at the turn of the century in about 1911 his church was at its height J Frank Norris you talk about a controversial preacher you talk about pe- a preacher people hate all over the place but what many people consider the father of American fundamentalism and in, and led the fundamental baptist movement in America J Frank Norris 
would preach of that men, certain men who were opposing him, he would stand in the pulpit and preach them publicly and challenge them to come to Christ and tell them, your time is up. God is going to kill you. And time after time, they would die within weeks or days of his preaching. They say that one man, I'm not sure of all the details of the story, but one man that opposed him that was running liquor was crossing the train tracks with his um, prostitute there in the car and was hit by a train as after J. Frank Norris had given the warning that this man was going to die. And that man died. His brains and his blood were scattered all over the road, mixed with the glass and the earthenware of the crocks full of liquor and whiskey that had been in his car that he was hauling. And they say, different sources say different things, that his brains and blood were scooped up in part of the broken bottle or a crock by someone and taken to the church house where J. Frank Norris immediately preached to Mene, Mene, tackle you farson. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting as people looked on at the remains of that enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can say that doesn't happen in this day if you want. J. Harold Smith is the fourth one that I'll give you today. He had a church down in Arkansas as straight fundamentally as any preacher that you can find. And old J. Harold Smith, time after time, would preach the gospel with anointing and power. If you ever look up God's three deadlines on Sermon Index, I think it is .com, maybe .net, Google search it or something like that, Sermon Index, J. Harold Smith, God's three deadlines, and listen and wonder at God's power as God still moves today like he did in days gone by. You see, here's our problem. All the fakery and phonery never happened to begin with. Do you hear me? God is still doing today what he did in days gone by. And he never did all the joke stuff that's happening. Never. All the fake tongues that are out there, all the showmanship, fake healing, fake signs, fake wonders, that goes all the way back to the Egyptian astrologers. That goes back to the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. That goes back to the prophets of Baal. That stuff never was real. Don't let the quacks and the cults steal the power of God and the reality of God from you. Let's get biblical definitions. And let me warn you today, despise not prophesying. When your preacher gets up, listen, you better be careful who you let preach to you. You better be careful when you turn that thing on. Whenever you go to the church house and sit down to listen, you are accountable to God. And if you despise the prophesying, you will be judged. There is an old prophet in the Bible in 1 Kings 13. You can look him up in your own time. We're closing. We're done. We're wrapping up. That old prophet in the Bible, he lied to the man of God that came out of Judea and got the man of God to come back and eat bread with him. And then sitting at the table, the same man of God that lied stood up and prophesied by the word of the Lord, and it came to pass. Despise not prophesying. This is where we've gotten in trouble. It's not the man that you've got to reckon with. It's the God that stands behind the man. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would use this message, that you would dispel doubts, that you would unravel all the twisted knots that the devil has put in our minds concerning your word. And I pray, Lord God, that we would live it and obey it 
and despise not prophesying, particularly and especially this book of prophecy that we have here in our hands, Father. And then also, Lord, the applications, admonitions, reproofs of instruction that are given to us by anointed Bible-believing Christians, whether in testimony or as preachers and pastors standing in the pulpit, but Lord, that we would not despise these prophesyings, Lord, so that we don't come under wrath. Forgive us, Lord, for despising prophesyings. Lord, you know in this land how we've been confused and how we've been abused, Father. Have mercy on us, for we are but dust. And help us, Lord God, to get a holy fear and reverence for the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, and the testifying of Jesus Christ. Help us to get a fear of God back in our hearts when the Word of God is spoken. Give us holy reverence for your Word. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, amen.